Cultivating Place is made possible in part by generous support from the Caddo Shaw Foundation, as well as by support from the Garden Conservancy. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. This last week of February, we return to our love of apples and the warm comfort of eating and cooking with home-grown ones, a particular joy in late February when spring and summer seem close but still too far away. We're in conversation with James Rich, orchardist and chef and author of Apple, Recipes from the Orchard, as well as his latest, Orchard, sweet and savory recipes from the countryside. I caught up with James in late November, and I knew this would be a perfect conversation for this time of year. James, welcome to Cultivating Place. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I'm really excited to chat to you. I'd love to have you introduce yourself to listeners. How do you introduce yourself? And uh, those identifiers are often so simplistic, but we are going to get into more of all of it. But maybe share not only what you do, but also mm, your primary kind of drive that takes you into the garden or into relationship with plants, James. Sure. Um, well, first and foremost, I'm a I'm a writer and um, uh, and home cook. Um, I've never had formal training as a chef or anything like that. I've learnt everything that I know, the little bit of what I know, by cooking for myself in my kitchen at home with my family and um, learning a lot of lessons from my grandmother growing up. So I am. I'm really passionate about food and um, I grew up in a wonderful part of the world um, in Southwest England. Um, You can probably tell from my accent, um, uh, which is an incredibly rich place for um, artisanal food. Mm. Um, So we have a lot of produce in this area. It's very agricultural. Mm. Um, And so I was surrounded by these, this amazing produce growing up and my family are a cider making family. And when I say cider, I'm talking about alcoholic apple juice. I think in in the United States, you refer to cider as something um, uh, sweet and and Um, non-alcoholic. And that goes back generations. So I was surrounded by producers of food and and passionate foodie people, which has kind of taken me through to um, developing a passion for writing recipes and cooking at home and then um, and then writing my books. So, yeah, I would say I would say I'm a foodie. (laughs) So clearly it's food and drink that drive you to the garden. Yes, absolutely. So um, I... I'm from a place called Somerset in England. Mm. Um, now Somerset is Somerset is known as uh, for producing two things, uh, two gifts uh, for the food world. Number one is cheddar cheese. Um, I went to school in a place called Cheddar, and yes, that's where <laughs> the cheddar was originally from. Um, there are caves, um, the caves in Cheddar in the village and in, in the hills and the mount, uh, not mountains but hills, and that's where the cheddar was aged generations ago. Um, so cheddar cheese that you enjoy. Every, you know we enjoy all over the world it originates from from somerset where i'm from and the second thing is cider and apple juice we have a great environment for growing apple trees in somerset mm. um, and we have um many 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 very old um ancient apple tr- apple orchards um throughout the county and so uh yeah people know somerset for uh for cheddar cheese uh and and cider and apple juice well, and what a great combination. I mean, take oh, wonderful. Of, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> we yeah, we definitely call apple cider the not that we call it hard cider if it's if it's hard cider, it, you know, yeah. if it has alcohol in it. Um and it's making a great comeback in in our world as, you know, craft foods take mm. back some of their um their share of of what people are looking for in in markets and so we have wonderful craft hard ciders mm. uh, available to us now both from the UK and from the US so you've given us a little bit of your history uh and a little bit of your family background maybe take us on the journey um from being a child and a cider maker's son as you are self-described and how that then follows a path that has you returning to Somerset with your Mm -hmm. husband, purchasing an historic orchard and actually making this 
your path in life just with a little bit of a different twist to it than your father and mother's? Yeah, so I I, uh, grew up, like I said, around food and around drink. Uh, and then my family opened a restaurant um, at the Cider Farm when I was a teenager, um, which is where I worked for a few years before going off to um, college and university and things. Um, and then I, any kind of small town person, very agricultural, like I said, where I live, there's not very much here. Um, anybody who's grown up in a small town, I think, gets to a certain age in their, their mid to late teens where they just want to experience the bright lights of the city. And so I was very excited. I always kind of had, um, uh, uh, I've always wanted to kind of travel and do and experience new things. Um, so I couldn't wait to run away from um, from where I grew up and, and just, you know, experience different countries and, mm. and, and see the city and, and all of that. So I ended up going and working um, uh, in London um, and I was in London for many years. Um, I also did a very, very short stint working in Spain um, and was able to travel quite a lot with my work, which I which I absolutely loved. And I worked in marketing and public relations and um, I, I even did a little bit of a, 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 in radio, actually, funny enough. Mm. Um, and um, so I did all of these great, great things and, and had these wonderful experiences. And then um, in about 2017, so um, in my early 30s, I um, just started kind of finding myself needing open space and fresh air and, and green and outdoors and all of the great things that the countryside um, provides. And so I was finding myself coming back home more regularly than I did before um, and just just kind of kind of recharging, um, really. Um, and so I kind of started tapping back into the place I was from and the kind of history. My family, um, they go back hundreds of years um uh in this place I, I've, I've done a family tree and we've looked into mm. um the family and, and we've traced it back 600 years from from wow. a selection of vill- villages from where i'm from so they really didn't move around very much we're very much a, a people set in our place yeah. um which so you know i ran away and, and did you know went to experience the bright lights and and but that kind of found this kind of magnetism was drawing me back um, and so I started to kind of um, look into more of the kind of family history and the food side and the drink side. And was kind of thinking, well, this this is quite an interesting story. I, I mean, I'm interested in it. Obviously, it's my family, but I think that other people might um, be interested in kind of in hearing about some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, and so and obviously being a kind of keen cook as well, I thought that telling the story through the food would be a really nice way of, of sharing. Um, so I... I initially thought that this would be something perhaps for like the the local area or maybe, you know, the UK maximum kind of UK. Um, And I pitched to pitch the idea to to some publishers. And and fortunately enough, um, they really loved um, the idea of kind of exploring this, this part Mm -hmm. of the world and commissioned Mm -hmm. my first book, Apple, which um, was very much a, a, a book um, full of recipes um, and stories that t- kind of told the story of, of my background and where I'm from and, and Somerset um, and my family, which was which was great. Um, and then and then um, I uh, that that book was published in 2019. Um, I. I very quickly um, got got my second book commissioned, um, uh, which was going to be a kind of follow on, slightly different um, topic, but a, a follow on to Apple. And then COVID um, nineteen hit, and we were thrust into um, into the pandemic. Um, and I was living at London in London at that point. I hadn't moved back, um, but I think it, it, what the pandemic did for me and my my husband was it really kind of brought into stock um, contrast that what we were missing out on being in the middle of the city and this kind of like need and want to get into the countryside and the, and the open air. So um, we decided to up sticks and leave the city and we bought a house in back in Somerset, which is 10 minutes up the road from my sister and my dad and my, my other sister. And it was a, it's a, a house that has needed a lot of tender loving care and renovation. But um, what I particularly loved about the house is that we had, we've got about an acre and a half of all, orchard and and kitchen garden right I want you to describe that a little bit about like you know how 
you grew up in this place, bound to this place. You you went off. It was the pandemic that kind of clarified value and values to you and and you returned mm-hmm. home. That must have been a very poignant experience to have been telling stories about place and about these fruits that defined and characterized your your childhood place. And then to go back and look for this um new home in your old home space essentially um and to find one with an orchard already with mm. it like talk talk about that experience and then maybe describe the 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 place you landed yeah so um we 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 came back for my dad's birthday um and uh, for a weekend and we we had been kind of thinking we'd see some houses when we were down here so we made a kind of list of you know the things that we were looking for and and for me it was very simple I needed a great kitchen um or at least somewhere that I could turn into a great kitchen um and I needed a kitchen garden so that I could grow my own produce um and be able to kind of take that I had this I've I've got this dream of kind of growing things and going out and picking it and bringing it into the kitchen and turning it into something fabulous um my grandparents did that when I was younger and I just remember the taste you know if you if you pick a tomato off of the vine and serve that um uh in a salad in the summer um versus what you can buy in the supermarket the flavor the difference in flavor is absolutely uh, you know mesmerizing and I remember that from a kid and so I had this dream of kind of growing my own my own veg so I, I really wanted I really wanted a bit of outdoor space I didn't necessarily think I'd need as much as I ended up with but um just a bit of outdoor space so that I could grow some 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 food and 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 a kitchen to 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 bring it in and then I just needed I just needed outdoor space so somewhere that you know plenty of fields and lots of walking and we've got some great hills near near where we live that we that we enjoy um just to get that sense of um of kind of quiet and still and I think that was the thing that really the pandemic really brought into focus was was that I'd been I'd spent years and years and years running around um being quite frantic and and you know, working all over the place and you know it's very exciting and fun um and 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 while I wasn't intentionally trying to slow down when the pandemic hit and we were experiencing all of that kind of confusion and and um and uncertainty what i was really drawn to is finding a space that is just calm mm. and i think that and that when i walked into the orchard here at the um at, at, at what is now our house um the house is lovely and i you know i love the house it's great but it wasn't until we walked into the orchard and we stood there um with the estate um estate agent or real realtor in in the us um we stood there looking over the hills and it was just quiet Mm. it was quiet and the birds were singing and the trees were in it was it was um late spring so the trees were uh were in you know they were fully fed they had all their foliage and um oh. and it was just so relaxing and mm. and I was like yeah this is this is what I'm looking for this is yeah. the this is the stillness that I need um and it had a kitchen garden so win-win this is cultivating place James Rich is a writer, an orchardist, chef, and author of Apple's Recipes from the Orchard, as well as his latest, Orchard, Sweet and Savory Recipes from the Countryside. He's with us this week sharing more about his love for and care of orchards and the delicious recipes that result from their fruits. We'll be back for more after a quick break. Stay with us. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by the Caddo Shaw Foundation. The Caddo Shaw Foundation funds initiatives that empower women and help preserve the planet through the intersection of environmental advocacy, social justice, and creativity. Cultivating Place is also made possible through support from the Garden Conservancy, a garden preservation, education, and advocacy organization which was founded in 1989 by plantsman Frank Cabot. The Conservancy has been spreading the joy of gardening nationwide ever since. Now, in its 33rd year, the Garden Conservancy is working harder than ever, to raise awareness around the essential role that gardens play in our cultural, 
physical and emotional health and well-being. Hey, it's Jennifer. So did you hear that comment in passing from James when he was a younger person who thought that in his home region, there just wasn't very much there? Hmm. Who else felt that as a young adult? And who, maybe, feels that right now? But is it really true? Have you looked around carefully recently? Have you seen the mountains? Have you wandered the prairies? Have you met the plant friends and foods of your own backyard, your rivers, your coastlines? Look around and look again. No matter where you are, and James is going to say this at the end of the episode, but no matter where you are, there's always more to see, to know, to love and to care for, and to be cared for by. We're back now to our conversation with James Rich, writer, foodie, and orchardist. As we come back, James is describing to us the historic orchard he and his husband moved to back in James's childhood region after the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic. The orchard is about only about an acre in size, so it's not a commercial orchard or anything like that. It very much is one of those old, traditional, small orchards that every farm and or house had in, in Somerset once upon a time. It's sad to say that um, I can't remember the figure, but it's a significant percentage of the old or small orchards are now gone and we've lost them to time. Um, so it's a real jewel and something quite special that we are kind of um, the caretakers of. Yeah. And we probably have about 20 trees. We've actually planted some more this year and they are a mix of um, mostly apple. We also have have um we have plum we have uh we've planted some peach tree a peach tree we're going to try that um we have medlars and quince um we have um, a walnut tree which is fabulous it's a huge massive great tree um at the back of the orchard that grows um the most wonderful walnuts um and providing we get there before the squirrels do mm-hmm. we, can, we, can, um, we can save them for christmas um and we also have a beautiful big oak tree that had a had a tree house in when we moved in um and then the rest are um uh apple oh and pear pear is the other so we've got a couple of pear trees mm. and they're a mix of it's mostly um it's mostly eating apples. Uh, we have some cooking apples. So we have some Annie Elizabeth. We have a, have a traditional Bramley apple, which um, which you don't find very often in the US, um, which I think is such a shame because it's a wonderful apple. It's um, well, we've, it's very, very common in the UK, but it's a, it's a cooking apple. So it's very sharp and you need to add sugar and things to, to cook with it. But it cooks down into this beautiful um, sauce consistency. Um, we use it a lot here and we serve it with pork and um and all sorts of other wonderful things. Um, uh, so we do have, we've got some cooking, cooking apples and then the rest of them are, um, are eating apples. And some of the, some of the varieties, we don't actually know what they are. They're so old. They are about 70 odd years old, which, which for apple trees is, is old. Mm-hmm. And we've got some fo- photographs from the 1960s, uh, aerial photographs that were taken and the, some of the trees were there then and quite mature at that point. So they, they're really getting on a bit for, for apple trees. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a couple of russet um, apple trees, which are probably my favourite, and they mm. are delicious. Um, they almost have kind of like creamy, nutty juice um, with a um, yellowy, yellowy green um, skin, and they are probably my favorite unfortunately they don't keep very long so you don't tend to find them in supermarkets and things like that but if you can find them then they're they're um they're wonderful you can put them in salads and everything um really delicious um uh, and then we have a couple of um we actually have a couple of cider apple trees as well um which are um are very bitter sharp in flavor so you if you bit into them it, you would kind of recoil it'd be too too bitter to eat but uh, you can press the juice down and turn it into cider and it's it's delicious um nice. and then finally we have a couple of crab apple trees which um mm. crab apples tiny little fruit that um, we've got a uh 
we've got two varieties um, and you can turn that into jellies or um, into a cordial or they're great it's great my husband's made some um, crab apple vodka this year mm. um, which is which is in the cupboard waiting for Christmas um, <laughs> so uh, so they're great but the um, crab apple has a lot of pectin in it so it's great for things like jellies because it sets nice and hard and um, you can serve that with meats or have it on toast or something it's delicious oh, yum and so those are a lot of trees. Mm. Are you able to use all of the produce from your orchard or or what where where do you what what happens to it, James? Yeah, absolutely not. We can't use it all, unfortunately. <laughs> I'd love to be able to store it. Um, I was thinking you had like a very large, very large refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, no, unfortunately not. Um, we also, we don't use any any sprays or anything on our trees. It's all completely um, natural. Um, so unfortunately, we've had a little bit of disease this year, which has affected the the um, the produce, but um, but mostly, um, mostly it's fine. Um, but what we do is we use as much as we can. So we've got a couple of freezers and cook lots of you know applesauce down for for the freezers and things like that um all of our friends and family get um bags and bags and bags of apples whenever they need them um and we pop some out the front out um out the front gate as well so the passers-by can just take them because obviously we're trying to avoid as much waste as possible but mm-hmm. um with that many trees there's a lot that end up on the orchard floor um, which I don't mind so much because um, the birds, particularly over the winter, if we get a hard winter, um, then they can they can make use of them and eat them, um, as well as you know the deer and other other uh, animals and wildlife. So um, I like to think that um, the the fruit falling to the falling to the orchard floor and rotting away isn't wastage because it just kind of goes back into the biodiversity of the orchard and it's, yeah. um, it's kind of like a circular economy. At least yeah. in my head, it is anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you you describe that very beautifully in the book, this this sense of um, the orchard being in symbiotic relationship with the soil, with the climate, with the hedgerow of different kinds of fruits and berries all around it. Um, and it's very much its own beautiful ecosystem. Now, mm-hmm. hearing you talk about the spray, I would imagine that the care of a historic orchard, especially in the face of, I mean, because I hadn't thought about that until I read about it in in your introduction, this idea that there were a great many orchards, you know, sort of home-based orchards or slightly larger um, market-based orchards across the countryside, much much as we hear about uh, the prevalence of hedgerows. And those are mm-hmm. being lost to development, to climate change, to whatever it might be. So uh, like it had an, an orchard hadn't made it to my list of things we need to be watching out for and protecting. Mm. And so how do, you know, you're what, year three, but of course you have 600 years of genetic information on how to care for, how to care for and live with these trees. Tell us about your um, kind of maintenance regime for the trees across the year, James. Sure. So the year starts in obviously January, February time, which is all about about pruning. So it's really important to um, get into the trees and to see how the tree is growing and to ensure that there's no disease um, or crossing branches or anything like that. And so you kind of get into the trees and with your pruning pruning saw and you clear out all of the unneeded uh, wood. So that could be for various reasons. It could have kind of gone a bit old and cracked or it could have got a bit of disease in it or it could be you, you might want to thin out some of the um some of the branches in order to uh for the tree to put as much energy as possible into growing the the best fruit rather than just tons and tons of fruit mm-hmm. and so that starts with, with that and that's to be honest the most time intensive element yeah. of, of looking after the trees pretty much after that we let nature do its thing um it has another check-in when the when the blossom is uh, comes out which is obviously in, in spring and we just kind of go around and just have a little look um then you kind of get the buds of the of the fruit um and you go around again and just have and just have a look and if it looks like there's a lot of fruit um growing in one small space then you might take out manually just take out some of the fruit so that you get big juicy fruit rather than lots of little 
fruit. And then um, in about June time, there is a thing called the June drop, which is where trees are amazing. They really um, are. Yeah. <laughs> so they're so clever. My dad talks to them and everything, which I haven't quite got to that level yet, but I'm, I'm oh, always getting there. But yeah. The more I learn about them, the more I'm just in awe. But um, so a tree will will um, will read the signs of the environment it's in um, and it will decide um, in about June time um, whether um, it has enough energy and enough resources around it to grow the fruit um, that it um, has buds um, for. So if it, if it's got lots and lots of buds and we're having a particularly dry period or a particularly wet period or whatever it might be, then the um, the tree will drop the um, the 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 fruit that it doesn't think it's going to be able to really kind of put all of its energy in and create beautiful fruit. Mm -hmm. um, and it does that on it by itself. You don't need to do that. You don't need to right. finally do do that, which is which is amazing. Um, and it's always and so like as a new as a new person with uh, fruit trees like this. When it happens, you're like, oh no, what's happening? Yes. Like, is everything going to, have I lost it all? Did I do something wrong? But then when somebody more knowledgeable shares with you, nope, this is the tree doing its thing. Just, just watch. Yeah. It's all right. It's then you're like, okay. Huh. Yeah, it's it's scary because you think it's either dying or right. the fruit's ready, so I must pick it all. Um, which obviously it's nowhere near being ready. Right. Um, but um, yeah, it's just nature doing its thing, and it's the tree kind of kind of putting its all its energy into its best fruit, which is exactly what you want. Um, and then and then really you just kind of um, you keep an eye on it over the over the rest of the summer while while the fruit um, grows. Um, if again, you're having a particularly dry period or, or particularly wet period, you might want to take out a little bit more of the fruit. If you, if you think it's, you know, it's got too much in the tree, our trees are particularly old uh, and particularly big. Um, so, um, we do keep an eye on, an eye on the quantity of fruit that it's growing that they're growing um and then and then it's just down to the harvest um and just we have a, a variety of different um varieties uh in our orchard so um we get our first fruit in august um and i went out there today and we're in november now i went out today and um uh we've still got quite a bit of fruit on on some mm. of our trees oh. um so we're really getting a decent period of time with 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 consistent fruit so um yeah that's great. That is great. So um, you have also been experiencing some pretty epic drought seasons, which is, of course, actually a very mm. different creature in the UK than it is in, say, oh, Northern California. But still, it is drought for you. Do you ever mm -hmm. have to give supplemental irrigation as well as just watching how much fruit is on the tree, James? Really interesting and quite pertinent question for this year because we had a very dry summer in the UK. Um, where I live in the southwest, it's very wet, um, and so and it's it's very beautiful, very very green environment because of all the water that we have. This year was complete opposite and was incredibly dry. Um, uh, um, and we we went I think it was months without any rain, which is you know um, which just doesn't happen in the UK, um, uh, and so. We didn't give, we didn't, this year we didn't give the mature trees any supplementary um, water, um, but we did water at all of the new trees or the trees that were kind of less than maybe seven years old. Um, we did, we did give them water um, mm. every few days just to, just to make sure that they um, didn't dry out didn't try out too much um but I don't know I mean it's honest uh, quite honestly it's something that we're having to learn as we go um mm -hmm. with because we you know we had a particularly dry summer this summer um last summer was okay um but let's see what happens next year and and you never know you might start seeing the green and lush orchards of South England um with irrigation in them which I think would it just doesn't happen right right and then as you look at your orchard, now that you are headed into year three with the orchard, mm. right? Yes, that's right. Yep. Are there trees you are thinking you would like to introduce into the orchard as maybe some of your, your older trees finish their senescence and any varieties you are, are hoping to add to your family? 
Yeah, so we have, um, so last year we added um, a medlar tree and a quince tree, which is really important to us. We love those fruits. And then we are going to be losing one, maybe two of our trees this year, the mature ones, because um, of some disease that it's picked up, um, which we've had, we've had analysed. Um, and unfortunately, it's going to be a case of taking out the trees so that it doesn't mm. infect any of the other trees, mm-hmm. um, which which means that... Um, come next year we're going to have a space to plant something else so i'm not sure i'm not sure about the variety yet i i really love like i said things like russets um i i really i'm quite passionate about the the old heritage varieties that we're losing yeah um and so i'll do some research um in into that and and find a traditional old somerset um variety that we'll we'll put in there um i love the names of them because they are all named from the um villages that they were first grown Mm -hmm. so things like Kings Kingston and stuff like that is all um That's uh, local, local villages so yeah yeah and that that kind of moves us beautifully into this idea that you have really nurtured these last five years or so uh starting with your first book in 2019 um and this idea of not only cooking with but telling the stories of place and families and food uh, and history through the fruits of the place. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about Apple and then move us into um, the not only the original idea for your second book, but then what the, that actually became in the face of yeah. the pandemic and and all of this chaos this last three years, James. Sure. So the, um, yes, yeah, so Apple was very much about me looking back um and it was um it was me uh uh looking back at where i'm from and the um the producers in this part of the country and trying to use um apple in in some form whether it was the raw fruit whether it was cider vinegar whether it was um apple juice or using the skins to create apple vinegar i was using the fruit in some form in every single recipe along with other produce that we got in this in this part of the country so it might be some local cheddar cheese or it might be some wonderful vegetables that we can grow here or whatever it is um the meat here is particularly good as well so the local butchers gave me some meat to include in some recipes so it was really about kind of telling the story of this place and the food that we can grow and kind of we have on our doorstep but we just need to do a little bit of digging to find um and putting those into recipes that um that were, were very much about celebrating um traditional um english-ish but not just kind of homely food i think is the word i'm trying to find yeah um so that was great. I really loved that. And then the second book was going to carry on from that. And it was going to look at other um, fruits that we grow in this part of the country um, and broaden it out slightly, um, but very much still kind of centered around the kind of this place. And then when the pandemic hit, the story changed slightly because what I was looking for or what I ended up kind of uh, finding I needed was the sense of caring for me and my family and my husband through the kitchen. So everybody was really unsure about what was happening during the pandemic. We know, you know, one day was never the same as the next. The news was particularly stressful at times. And what we found certainly in my house, um, what we found is that we just, um, we, we zoned out through the food that we were we were cooking so we were you know we we did we baked sour sourdough like everybody seemed to do on instagram we kind of got all of our cookbooks to, um out and started going through different recipes to try new things and new ex- new experiences mm. um but what we were really trying to do really is kind of i was providing nourishment through the food that i was creating to kind of just care for us we didn't really know what was going on there's a sense of kind of like a calming protective um, love I suppose through through cooking I yeah. think that I think that there's nothing nothing you can do more to show love than than to cook somebody a meal and I think that some of the best meals I've had in in my life has not necessarily been wonderful Michelin-style restaurants and things like that which is lovely you know, in its own setting but the most memorable meals I've had have always been somebody who is just you know they're showing their love through food yeah um and I think we we all needed that in lockdown we all needed that kind of we wanted to be loved we need to be looked after we wanted that kind of um you know those those arms wrapping around you 
to give you a big hug when you needed it most. And yeah. that was the type of food that I was really craving and that we found we were cooking. And so yeah. it turned into a story about me coming back home and um, setting up kind of a future um, and growing my own food and using the produce from this old orchard in order to create the recipes that helped nourish and kind of love my friends and family. This is Cultivating Place. James Rich is a writer, an orchardist, a chef, and author of Apple Recipes from the Orchard, as well as his latest, Orchard, Sweet and Savory Recipes from the Countryside. He's with us this week sharing more about his experience with orchards and his work developing recipes from their fruits. We'll be back for more after a quick break. Stay with us. So, you know, this is a story of food, food grown and born of place. And I'm taken by how much that story of food and food of place is equated with a reciprocal idea of love itself for James and how he shares it forward. He was, as we all were, scared and anxious and in need of comfort in the beginning of the pandemic and throughout the pandemic. He went home, as it were, and he felt the spaces of his family's orchards as loving arms around him. And these orchards offered him and his family nourishing and delicious food. The apples were the plant and the orchards were the place. And James and his family were the people caring for them and being cared for by them in return. It is not a complicated equation, is it? I'm Jennifer Jewell. This is Cultivating Place, and we're back now to our conversation with James Rich, writer, foodie, and orchardist. As we come back, James is continuing his discussion of his new book, Orchard, and the challenge that he set for himself to create foods of all kinds, from snacks to feasts, desserts to drinks, all with fruits of the orchard. The idea behind the book is that we wanted to take um, produce from uh, my orchard and the kitchen garden and create a recipe from that. Um, So the starting point really is what can I grow in my garden and how can we use it in the kitchen? Um, So each recipe starts with a um, specific um, vegetable or fruit um, that I can grow and then we kind of go go from there. Um, So we we decided to structure it so that we kind of got a kind of more light bites so an easy kind of throw it together type um section um and then i'm really big on things like stews and kind of big feasts um and sharing plates and things like that so we have a whole section with those kind of more i suppose more entertaining type food um Mm -hmm. um if you will um i personally would serve stew if i'm entertaining i know it's kind of uh, not very um not very uh, jazzy, but uh, I think that everybody loves it. It's a nice crusty bread. Uh, and then we've got a big section on on sweet dessert because, you know, when you're growing all of this fruit in the garden, the best thing you can make is some incredible cakes and pastries and um, and all sorts of delicious sweet things. So obviously that was, uh, that was going to be a big section. Um, and then also I have some um, recipes scattered throughout the book um, of things like condiments um yeah. and sauces and, and and little ways that you can use um leftover fruit or hedgerow produce um uh nettles for example there's a cod and nettle recipe in there and um uh, nettles grow in abundance in this part of the country and you can mm. you can just go out and it's free food um so uh so there are little things like that um sprinkled in uh, throughout the book as well yeah which i really appreciated i appreciated that this was combining um you know, gifts from the orchard, from the, the the very carefully curated kitchen garden, but then also that foraged material all around us. And I especially appreciated your um, 
reminding people about the ethics of foraging and and how to do yes. it well. And um, and I think that's, you know, especially the more that people are turning to this kind of um, food relationship, it, I think those ethics can't be overstated um, so that things mm -hmm. are not over harvested and rare things are not endangered and people's um, personal food, you know, trees or gardens are not impinged upon either. Yeah, I think one of the things that people um, often don't um, maybe don't think about when they're foraging is all well and good foraging, but that food is there for a reason. The the biodiversity of of, of that place is, is vitally important to all of that. So the wildlife that it's eating is relying on that food as well to get through the winter. So um, I think the biggest the biggest obviously yeah get permission to go on the land and, and pick the pick the food. But I think one of the biggest considerations for me is just making sure we don't take too much. I think we are uh, you know humans in general can be uh, a, a, a species that just kind of take 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 um and we, yeah. we just need to be mindful that wildlife need it too so yeah yeah, yeah. it's really important to include that yeah and and you make this point about how you steward and live with the hedgerow and the kitchen garden and the orchard as well that this is a place for uh, all lives not just your life and i i really appreciated that um that mindset and and premise so so take us into let's just go section by section james because now i'm um, it's morning my time evening your time and i'm already <laughs> hungry for dinner take us through each section and maybe pull out a, a recipe that you had particular fun or was particularly memorable in you putting a combination together and going, oh, yeah, this came out great. I mm. love this. Sure, no problem. I love this going through these old re these recipes because obviously I, this is um, when you when you make a cookbook, your it's a kind of two year, two to three year process. So I, I you know, these are recipes I've written two two years ago, two three years ago. So it's, I love going back through them. Yeah. Um. So we start off with a light bite section, like I said. So these are things that are fairly easy just to throw together. Um. This might be a nice easy breakfast or, um, or something that you might make for. A, for a light lunch with some friends um they're nothing too complicated and it's not going to take a, a lot of time um and things like um quiches um are in this section um and uh some of my other favorites like a few salads and um and things like that um but one of my favorite recipes or two of my favorite recipes actually from this section were the um bacon and breeze uh sandwiches with um caramelized peaches yes um, this one i have so, dog i have this dog-eared james and it it oh, is so, so it looks so good i honestly not to not to blow my own trumpet as we say but this recipe it i mean i think for starters it's not really a recipe because it's so simple um but just the combination of the creamy brie um and then that saltiness of the bacon and then the sweetness of the of the peaches and honestly griddled peaches are my favorite i love cooking i love warm warm peaches mm. um and it's really it's really delicious and with some really nice sourdough um on a saturday morning with a cup of coffee mm. um or, or at lunchtime it it goes down a treat i i really recommend that and the other one um, in this section, which is um, probably the breakfast I look forward to most these days, um, especially this time of year, because they're growing wild in the um, orchard um, and in the local fields, is um, the wild mushrooms on toast. Um, I think mushrooms on toast is one of my absolute favourite breakfasts. Um, and serving it with some garlic and some herbs um, and a, a little bit of creme fraiche or cream, um, if, if you're into that. Um, you can obviously make it vegan without that. Um, on some toast, just a really simple with a nice cup of tea is yeah. is delicious. Mm. Um, so they're very easy, two very easy um, recipes from that section, but um, definitely two of my favourites. Um, the next section we go into is the feast section. So this is all about um, recipes for sharing, really. It's the kind of more um, hearty um, meals that um, warm the soul as well as the stomach. Um, and these recipes, um, things like kind of, we've got risottos in there, lots of different stews in, in there. Um, I've even got a lasagna, a mushroom lasagna, which is really good, mushroom leek and walnut. Um, which was which is actually absolutely delicious, particularly if you can get some decent walnuts. And also uh, one of my um, 
one of my favorite in this in this section was um the a recipe actually i've been making for many many years um but i'd never uh i didn't include it in my first book for some reason and i just kind of i suppose i've forgotten about it um but i came back to it with, in this in this book um writing this book which is chicken and cherry tray bake um okay i have that one because i thought what a lovely like contrast those you know sweet but when you cook them a little bit also tart cherries with the mm -hmm. chicken and uh, i think you have shallots in there is that is that the, yeah there's, there's, yeah yeah that's right and there's some potatoes in there as well oh, um yum. and we've got thyme so again like very hearty kind of soul food um but i also add a bit of chili in there which just brings just lifts the whole thing and, mm -hmm. and adds a different element uh different kind of um element to to the recipe but i really love this i've been doing this for a long time um and i used to do it just as a kind of like throw it was one of those recipes i've had a bit of chicken a few kind of veggies throw some cherries in because you can obviously um frozen cherries work great for this that's I what use, i was gonna I ask don't tend to use, yeah yeah i don't tend to use fresh obviously if you have them if you if, you, if it's the right time of year use fresh cherries um one you know that'll be good that's great but um otherwise just use frozen um and it creates a delicious gravy with the chicken juices the, the cherry juice yeah. um and the onion and garlic um yeah. and i actually just get a bit of crusty bread at the end to dip in the dip into the gravy and it's mm. It's, it's really wonderful. I love that meal. And I wanted to ask that question about the peaches as well. Could you use, mm -hmm. uh, you know, frozen sliced peaches uh, for the for 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 sauteing and then putting with the brie? What what would you think about that? I I mean, yes, you can. I would think I didn't. I haven't. Actually... It won't be as good, but. No, I haven't actually tried it with frozen um, peaches, but I think because of the water content, you might um, you might not get that lovely crispy sweet mm -hmm. caramelization of the yeah. um, of the of the juice that you get with fresh um, fresh peaches. Okay. Um, but I'm you know give it a go. I'm sure I'm sure right. it'll be um, it wouldn't be sure terrible. It'll be delicious. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, another yeah, another couple of recipes that I love from this section. I could go and talk about all this stuff all day because um I really uh these are kind of my favorite my favorite meals. Um, there's a sausage and bean and cider stew. Um, um in in this section which i which i love again this is something i've done for a long time actually this was supposed to be in my first book but for various reasons i can't remember at the time i think we had too many similar recipes so this one got taken out um but i was um i was really keen that it was included in in here and this this is a brilliant recipe for this time of year it's incredibly warming it's one of those recipes if you just brown off the onions oh sorry brown off the um sausages um and um put everything else in the pot you can stick it in the oven it can just stew very very on a very low heat all day and it'll be it'll be ready for you in the evening when you um when you finished work um and obviously it includes cider which i'm <laughs> uh very passionate about um so that one is a is a is a is a favorite of mine and then the other one i would point out in this section would probably um be Oh, I would say another stew, but let's not go for a stew. I think maybe the um, chicken mushroom and Stilton pie. Yeah. So uh, again, this is very traditional. It's not, you know, this is my take on it, but it's it's not deviating much from from the you know the chicken mushroom and Stilton pie that we're used to. Um, but what I really love about this recipe is that I've been um, I've been really keen on getting uh, really good produce. So if you can get some really good wild mushrooms from your local um, farmer's market um, and some artisanal Dilton or any kind of blue cheese, um, um, pop that into 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 this um, this pie and it's it's a it's a game changer. Really delicious. And then let's go to sides and sauces because there's a couple that I have um, dog-eared here as well. And and then let me ask you quick, but as we're going, would you mind if I uh, took a, a, you know, just a picture of a couple of these recipes you've pulled out and shared them with listeners uh, who, who won't no, necessarily? Course. Okay, great. Yeah, sides and sauces. Okay, so, oh, this is going to be a hard one. So it actually, is. I'm going to say that... Um, I don't know if it's the time of year. I think it is. But um, my husband was laughing at me this morning about this because um, I am really into cabbage right now. <laughs> okay. This is when and... I have dog-eared. I'm like, I want to try this this winter. It looks so good. 
Yeah, and this is just, um, again, this is something I've done for years and it's just kind of, uh, it was the right time to include it in this book, but the roasted cabbage with hazelnuts. And honestly, you can use any any nuts, so walnuts work really well with this as well. Um, and just having a, a very simply roasted uh, savoy cabbage um, or green cabbage, um, again, lots of garlic, uh, chili, um, and some butter in there, and then and then some honey and lemon juice as well is is just so delicious. Um, goes really well with most meats um, and also fish. Uh, so I I love that. And then the other one from the sides um, the side section is probably. Um, let's go for something different. I think probably there's a recipe in here for pickled pears. Um, and this is just a really nice way of using up any any fruit um, that potentially is that in the fruit bowl, maybe looking a little bit worse for wear. Um, it's a really nice way of preserving it and um, using it for um, salads or, or you know, with some cheese and uh, some biscuits. Um, and that is just uh, popping it into a pickle um, and allowing it to allowing it to absorb some of that delicious um, delicious pickle. And it's very simple, um, just kind of taking the skin from the from the pears and then adding the sugar and um, the vinegar and and I also put a chili. But you can add other spices like um, star anise or uh, cloves or anything like that. Um, and uh, uh, I just like it because it's a nice way of making sure you don't waste any fruit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and then dessert. What are you going to share? The big one. Okay, yeah. I don't know. I, honestly, I'm not actually sure. Um, in my family, we are big dessert people. Um, my dad um, will cause a riot if there isn't a dessert after dinner. So um, it's a serious business in my family. So um, I think some of my favorites in um, in this section, I mean, you can't go wrong with a, with a galette. Um, it's such a great way. If you've got a good pastry and the pastry I use, which I use in a few of my recipes, um, has nuts in it, though so hazelnuts or cob nuts. Um, or even walnuts. Um, if you've got a good pastry and you can you can um, you know fill it with whatever fruit you want. So whatever's in season. I think in the one in the book I have um, currants, so black currants, blackberries, and red currants. Um, but honestly, you know apples in there, pears, uh, peaches, depending on the time of year. Um, so I, I, I love a gazette, a gazette, sorry, a galette. Um, yeah. And it's also a, a recipe that you don't have to spend a lot of time making right. look good. Right. Um, That's what I love about them. All, They're so forgiving. Oh, right? Brilliant. Yeah. yeah, they're so forgiving. And actually, people love it when you serve a, um, a galette and, you know, some of the juices build out and it's create, created those lovely, crispy, burnt bits. Mm. People love all of that. Um, and I think it looks beautiful in its um, in its kind of um, its simplicity. Um, the other recipe I really enjoy from this section is the apple plum and walnut cobbler. Again, yes. very, very um, versatile recipe. Um, if you just kind of uh, have the cobbler, um, uh, element of it and that's just kind of like crumble or crunch um, type topping um, and then the base is just um, well obviously here I've got apples plums and walnuts but you can really play with it and do whatever you want um, just as just um, making sure you add things like maybe a little bit of honey or or vanilla depending on the on the fruits that you've got to ensure that you and obviously sugar to ensure that you've got that lovely sweetness right. um, but again like it's a great versatile recipe that you can just you can put in whatever you've got in the fridge, whatever might be going off or whatever's in season. Um, you, you you can really play with that and, and make it, make it your own. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm very aware of our time now and um, I know you end with the drinks section. Uh, is there, yes. uh, I, I would love to have you share your, you know, your one, uh, if you had if you had one drink there that you would have anybody make, which one would that be? Oh, okay. I'm if they're 21 in the US, of course. I gotta <laughs> if, say if, that. If you're if you're 21 in the US, um and um uh, I'm gonna say actually the Somerset cider brandy hot toddy. I don't mm. know if you're I, I presume you have this in the US, so forgive me if you don't. But um, this is a quite a traditional drink um, in winter in this part, part of the world, um, and it's essentially brand hot brandy. Um, so you can use we have um, Somerset cider brandy, which is um, a local cider uh, producer who's been making um, 
uh, brandy uh, in this part of the world for a long time. Um, Julian Temple, who's a lovely old cider maker, um, but you can use Calvados um, or or just a kind of um, any other brandy, um, and you pop some honey in it, some cinnamon, um, and you bring it to. Um, uh, you add boiling water to heat it up, and then a slice of lemon. Um, and honestly, if you if you have a if it's a cold winter's night, you know those nights when it's you know it's maybe a bit frosty out and it's bitingly yeah. cold, yeah. and you come in and you've got the fire on and you need something to just warm you through, um, and a cold brandy just just won't cut the mustard. Mm-hmm. Um, serving it hot is just wonderful. I really love that. So. Um, Given given that we're going into those dark, cold winter winter months, um, then I would suggest a, a hot toddy. Yeah, and maybe you've come in from pruning the orchard in in the in the yes. winter, right? And you're cold, <laughs> and and so there you go. It's January. It's frosty. Right, right. <laughs> so you know, I I know this is a cookbook. This is about food, and mm. this is about your your stories of place, which are always always essential to us as humans as we create culture with what we do if you had a hope for listeners reading or even listening to this conversation and then maybe reading the book trying Mm -hmm. one or two of the recipes what are your greatest hopes for what they might take away about the importance of this kind of cultivation james Mm. I think so I say this a lot um, and I think it's the one lesson I've learned through both of writing both of my books um, is that um, I really took for granted what was on my doorstep growing up Um, Mm. I didn't and I was naive I didn't understand the quality um, of the produce that was that that was uh, I was surrounded by Mm. Um, and it was a real education going back and um, revisiting all of that and actually, you know, I, I go, I travel or I have traveled all over the world. And the, the one thing the, the first thing that's on my list when I'm, when I'm planning a trip is where am I going to eat? What are the restaurants I'm going to eat at? Where are the kind of key food areas? And I, I, I know I've done that for years, um, but I never did it when I was at home. I never, I never kind of just looked at what I had on my doorstep. Um, and it wasn't until I started writing the first book and subsequently then exploring it more in the second book that I was I was just struck by, oh, yeah, like, actually, there is some incredible produce on my doorstep. And why aren't I experience, why aren't I trying to experiment and experience this more? So I think if there's one thing that anybody ever kind of comes away from any of my books um, with, it's... Um, it's a bit of a kind of like bit of self-reflection and that's what's on my doorstep and what I've been lucky, lucky enough to grow up and and now live again uh, around what's on your, what's on your doorstep. Um, because wherever you are in the world, there's, uh, there, there, I'm almost guaranteed there's going to be an amazing food scene fairly close by. Um, and so what, what grows locally, um, what maybe something that, you know, is grows naturally in in the wild or, or even, you know, the local producers, um, what are they growing? What are they producing, um, uh, locally and, and, and how can you take that, um, and, uh, and enjoy and enjoy it, but also think about how you can make it your own as well um so take it into your kitchen and experiment because that's what i did and i managed to you know create all of these wonderful recipes well i think they're wonderful uh <laughs> these recipes and and honestly like really fall back in love with where i'm from so um yeah I, i'd like to think that people would would perhaps look at look a little bit more close to home with the food that they they enjoy yeah Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today. It has been such a treat to speak with you and share this passion for food and fruit and place. No, thank you so much. It's been really uh, a really fun conversation. So I appreciate uh, chatting to you. Thank you. James Rich is a family man, a writer, a cider maker's son, and the descendant of many generations of orchardists. As a chef, he is also the author of Apple, Recipes from the Orchard, as well as his latest, Orchard, Sweet and Savory Recipes from the Countryside. James dedicated his book, Orchard, to his husband, whose name is so appropriately Pip. 
To hear my full conversation with James, including a compelling fruit galette, make sure to listen to this week's podcast version of the program at cultivatingplace.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Because I just can't compete with the mouth-watering plants from their place's recipes provided by James this week, Speaking of Plants in Place, we'll be back next week. But don't forget that now is the time, especially if you have a little window of good weather, to finish up much of your winter pruning of apple trees, pear trees, persimmons, and any other winter pruned fruit trees. Read up to see which fruit trees might need pruning in summer after they fruit rather than in winter when they are dormant. This is also the time that bare root trees begin to be available in your best local nurseries. So happy fruit tree orchard planning and dreaming, maybe while you savor your winter fruit galette and a glass of warm apple brandy or cider. How better to end February? Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio, licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by listeners just like you through the support button at the top right-hand corner of every page at cultivatingplace.com. The program is also made possible through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation and through the support of the Garden Conservancy. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler with weekly tech and web support from Angel Haracha. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.